Our scripture lesson this morning is found in Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11 of the seven letters or messages that Jesus speaks to his church in Revelation. This one is the shortest. And it was to the church that was suffering the most. There's no condemnation whatsoever in his words. It's commendation, it's comfort, it's encouragement in the midst of their persecution. And you know, it makes sense to me because if somebody is really struggling, uh, they don't need a lecture, do they? They don't need a lot of words. They need empathy. They need support. They need love and reassurance. And this is what Jesus gives the church at Smyrna. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of the first and the last who was dead and came to life. I know your affliction and your poverty, even though you are rich. I know the slander on the part of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Beware, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison so that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have affliction. Be faithful unto death." And I will give you the crown of life. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Whoever conquers will not be harmed by the second death. This is the word of God for the people of God. Be to God. May be seated. Let's pray together. Lord, we do pray that in these next moments that... Um, you will penetrate deeply within our being this, this word um, and will maybe stir in us some compassion and certainly prayer for those who are persecuted around the world. Father, we also pray that we'll find hope and encouragement in our own sufferings. Come, Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, nearly every Saturday night before I preach on a Sunday, I'm, uh, I'm wrestling throughout the night. I don't sleep too soundly most Saturday nights. A lot of it has to do with just feeling prepared and ready to preach the Word. I pray a prayer before I go off to sleep on Saturday nights about the message. And last night as I was praying, I was uh, praying uh, as the Spirit led for believers in Cambodia, because when I was there from 2005 to 2006, uh, Connie and I were essentially short-term missionaries serving in an international church. I was also teaching 22 young men and women that were preparing for Methodist ministers as pastors. And there were quite a few women among this group, which culturally was uh, a, a big deal in Cambodia, quite frankly. But I was thinking about how many of them were already gathering with their congregations because they are 12 hours ahead of us, uh, preparing to offer their praise to God in churches all over the country. Through our regular giving to uh, our conference and denominational apportionments, uh, we are supporting ministries like the uh, Cambodia Methodist Bible School. And uh, I was a volunteer teaching pastoral care to these students and, and it was fascinating to me to uh, hear what their lives were like as young men and women preparing for ministry, many of them already involved in ministry. 
Now there are 140 Methodist churches in Cambodia as of last year, 134 pastors. But when we were there, and I was doing that teaching about 13 years ago, it was a much smaller number. So I'm confident that many of these students that went through my class are now pastoring in churches. But, but as students, they lived in a very simple dorm that was adjacent to the um, teaching area where the classrooms were. There were three to four students per room. There was a girl's dorm and there was a boy's dorm. Uh, three to four students in a dorm room and one bed that they all shared. Three to four students slept together in one bed, roughly the size of a king-size bed. There was no mattress. It was just wooden slats on a raised bed. They typically went to bed uh, fairly late at night after their studies were complete. They had evening prayer together as a group. And then the alarm went off at 4.30 a.m. And by 5 o'clock, they were gathered together, one of the students leading the rest of them in prayer. They returned to the rooms, uh, got ready for breakfast, uh, a little bit of exercise. In the classroom by 8.30, took a break at 12 for lunch, and then they got a nap. And I love that about Cambodia. Everybody takes a nap around 1 o'clock, or at least it's culturally okay to do that. Uh, then they come back into class and stay there until evening when they have their meal. And, and it's a very rigorous, disciplined existence for these students, all preparing for ministry. Many of them go to churches on the weekend where they pastor. These churches are very modest, very small. Uh, they generally have a concrete or concrete and tile, porcelain or ceramic tile floor. Some of the students sleep on the floor at night in their churches. Uh, no parsonage, no health insurance. Um, generally, the salary was about $25 a month. Uh, many had to work a part-time job to cover the cost of being in ministry and um, there were a couple of my students that had wives or husbands. I think there were four or five, something like that, that were promised, engaged. But, but money had to be saved to take care of their families as well. If they had transportation, it was probably a bicycle. Or if they were really blessed, someone gave them a 100cc uh, motorcycle. No parsonage, as I said, very hard, difficult life. But the reward that was promised to them by Jesus in the scriptures for those who were faithful, who served the Lord with their whole heart, they held on to that. They believed that and they followed him joyfully. Since Cambodia is 95% Buddhist, converts don't come easily. It is a big deal for someone to convert to Christianity in many, many nations of the world, and Cambodia is one of them. And when someone does make a profession of faith, it is not uncommon for families to disinherit, to shun that person, and for them to also be persecuted by, by members of their village, of their town. Some lose their jobs. Uh, if, they're, uh, if they're farming, as many, many Cambodians do, uh, their fields may be destroyed. Uh, their, their houses and on, on some occasions have been burned by neighbors who see their conversion as a threat to the peace of the village. Because in Cambodia, there are spirits that control the welfare of the village. And so they, they make sacrifices to these spirits 
in these little spirit houses every single day. Every home has one. It looks like a birdhouse. It's a little temple. And they pacify the spirits to keep them from lashing out through, say, a bad storm, a drought, too much rain, some other misfortune such as illness, uh, etc. And, and, and so when something bad happens and you've got a church in a community, they blame the Christians first. And they frequently were persecuted as a result of that. And this is not unlike the situation in Smyrna. The second church of the seven that receives this short message from Jesus who says to them, I know your affliction and your poverty even though you are rich. The city of Smyrna had a population of about 100,000 people, we believe. Homer was born there. Uh, They had a proud tradition of literature and philosophy and religion. And, and allegiance to Rome. In fact, there was a glorious temple that was perched on a hill that overlooked the city below uh, in which people came and worshipped the Caesar. When Domitian, the emperor, the Caesar of the Roman Empire, demanded uh, worship from all of his citizens, including the Christians, uh, the persecution of believers became more severe toward the end of the first century. And scholars believe that that this is the context for the book of Revelation. When you read Revelation, the thing you need to remember first and foremost is, is that it is a book, it is a collection of visions that was delivered to a people that were enduring extreme hardship as Christians in the first century. And so even though Smyrna was one of the most prosperous and influential cities in Asia, the church there was very poor, materially speaking. Jesus says to them, I know your affliction and your poverty, even though you are rich. And the richness, the wealth that he's referring to here is not financial, it's not material. It is is their spiritual wealth. It is because they are in union with Him, they are connected with Christ, that they are wealthy in the heavenly realm. Now this phrase that occurs over and over again in these letters is one that that I find most comforting. Jesus says repeatedly over and over again to each of these churches, I know, I know, He says. i got to tell you as a pastor who's been at this for a very long time, I take great comfort and encouragement in those two words almost every day. I know that Jesus understands not just what I'm going through, but what you are going through. And others that come to me who are struggling, whose lives are broken, who are in pain, who who are struggling against life-threatening illnesses and and family crises of all kinds. Jesus knows, He knows, He understands. Nothing, nothing escapes His attention. When you encounter a time of trouble or trial, um, it's not that Jesus has abandoned you. I mean, the default mode that many people have is that when times get tough, they want to blame God for it. 
they get angry with the Lord and they say, there can't be a loving God. There can't be a God that cares about me given what I'm going through. What we as believers need to understand and be reminded of often is that Jesus suffered. He was the suffering servant of Isaiah. Jesus and his followers will suffer. He promised it. He said it would happen. And it's not because he has abandoned you. It is because Christianity is the religion of the cross. We have been commanded to take up the cross, to endure suffering, even persecution, and follow him. We sing, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows. Jesus knows to him, says, our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. As, as we continue to study these letters to these churches, we're going we're to bump into that phrase over and over again that Jesus knows. And He knows because He is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. Verse 10 says, Do not fear, Smyrna, what you are about to suffer. Jesus says to them, Don't be afraid. Don't freak out. Don't panic. The presence of the one who is the Alpha and the Omega, who died and rose again, is with you. Now, it goes without saying that we live in a very fearful day, don't we? I mean, just spend a couple hours a day watching cable news and tell me that you're at peace. Right? I mean, there's lots and lots of reasons uh, to be worried, to be fearful and anxious. And, and people in power use that uh, against us, to incite us, to, to uh, frustrate us, uh, to, to, to make us say and do things that we ordinarily would not do. I cannot remember a time in my life when people have been more fearful than they are today. Uh, And not only are they afraid of things that might happen, worried about things that that are all possibilities, not inevitabilities, they are fearful of fear. Fear is just eating us alive in our culture right now. And what does Jesus say to those who are struggling with fear? He says, don't be afraid. Because I am with you. I am for you. Whatever you're going through, understand. Understand that that Jesus knows all about it. Uh, Difficulty of all kinds. Struggle, sometimes persecution can enter your lives. Uh, Cancer, car wrecks, accidents, unexpected illness, lost jobs, betrayals, even death. These are all part of life. There's no escaping it, right? Everybody faces these things. And it can happen just like that. Bless her heart, Joy Mulligan, 
stepped on a patch of black ice on her driveway yesterday morning. She fell and she broke her hip. She had surgery later in the day. And Kay Breeding called me and said, Joy wants you to come to the hospital now. <laughs> she needs you to come. And I knew she was there, but, but Hope had told me she was in surgery. So I said, I'm planning, I'm going, I'm going. So I got there, and as soon as I got there, her arms opened up, and she gave me a hug, and, and I prayed with her and gave her a kiss and said, it's going to be okay. She says, I'm all right now. I'm all right. I mean, we all need to have an attitude of, of, of eagerness, of, of longing to have Jesus embrace us. Not necessarily the pastor, but to have Jesus there, knowing that he understands, knowing that he will embrace us and love us and carry us through. Uh, even when things come out of nowhere that really do throw us for a loop. Peter wrote to the suffering saints in Rome in his epistle. He said, dear friends, don't be surprised. Listen to this now. Don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. This is not out of the ordinary. This is life. Jesus promises here in verse 10, you will have affliction, he says to them. You will have affliction. We don't get to choose when that happens or where it comes from, but we do get to choose how we respond. Do not fear. But have faith in the one who is the first and the last, who died and who rose again, Jesus says. Now in verse 9, these Jews, these pre pretending Jews, so-called Jews are mentioned as the persecutors of the saints. Uh, with the rise of Caesar worship in the Roman Empire, in many cities, the Jews were given an exemption from emperor worship. They were an ancient religion, long-standing. In, uh, in the dispersion, there were Jews living throughout the empire. And in some places, they, they were tolerated and were not persecuted. And so apparently, in Smyrna, where there was a large Jewish population... They were given a pass when it came to emperor worship. But, but these so-called Jews, whether they were persons pretending to be Jews uh, or whether they were Jews that were misguided, who were being a tool, used as a tool of Satan, as Jesus says here, it, it really doesn't matter. They were stirring up a lot of trouble because the Christians were unwilling to bend the knee to Domitian the emperor, the Caesar of Rome. We know during Paul's missionary journeys that he encountered opposition a generation earlier throughout Asia from the Jews when he would go and preach Jesus as the Christ in the synagogue. It's, it's hard to know exactly what's going on here, uh, but one thing is for, for certain. It was because of their devotion to Jesus and their unwillingness to compromise, their unwillingness to bend the knee to the Caesar and to worship Him, that they are promised suffering and affliction and even jail time. Now, Smyrna had an interesting past. It was destroyed in 600 uh, B.C., 
and uh, by one of its enemies and it remained a pile of rubble for nearly 300 years just think about that the united states is 200 almost 243 years old as a country imagine a city being a heap of rubble for 300 years and then it was rebuilt by the greeks in uh, 300 BC. And because of this history, Smyrna became known as a city that was resurrected from the dead. The hill around the city, which was a port city, the, the hill that, that surrounded the city below had all of these glorious public buildings constructed on it that had porticos with these magnificent columns. It looked like a crown, a crown on the city. In verse 10, Jesus promises that if the Smyrnans are faithful, even in death, He will give them a crown of life. A crown that transcends this earthly life, a heavenly reward. He says you will be spared judgment the second death, or as Revelation calls it later, the lake of fire. As, as Jesus promised in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And two, two of the Apostle John's disciples, young men that, that he taught and schooled in the faith, helped to grow in maturity in Christ, uh, Ignatius and Polycarp both ministered in Smyrna. And both of these men later in life were martyred. As a young man, Polycarp was discipled by John. Uh, he was probably in his 20s. John, the apostle, maybe in his late 80s, early 90s. We don't know for sure. But Polycarp later in life, as an old man, became the bishop of Smyrna. And he was arrested and sentenced to death for his unwillingness to worship the Caesar. And, and he was taken to be burned at the stake, but when the fire was lit, it didn't, it didn't burn his body, tradition says. And so he was stabbed through with a knife. But before he died, before the flames were lit, tradition says these were his dying words. For 86 years I have served him, meaning Christ, and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my King and Savior now? You threaten me with a fire that burns for a season and after a little while is quenched, but you are ignorant of the fire of everlasting punishment that is prepared for the wicked. And then he prayed, I bless you, Father, for judging me worthy of this hour so that in the company of the martyrs I may share in the cup of Christ. The cup of Christ. Then Jesus says, let anyone who has an ear listen. Listen to what the church, what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Now, what I think the Spirit is saying to our church and to every church is do not forget those that are persecuted. Do not forget those who, who don't have the absolute privilege of freedom we enjoy in this country. I, I doubt seriously anyone here experienced any kind of opposition this morning coming to worship, did you? 
unless it's from a spouse or a child screaming or a dirty diaper or whatever. But yeah, the government didn't tell you, you can't go to Georgetown First United Methodist Church today. Right? And we praise and thank God for that. But friends, we are in the minority. There, there are tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of believers in this world today who put their life at risk simply by showing up for church on Sunday morning. And the scripture tells us we ought to pray for them. And we are going to pray for one country in particular. The voice of the martyrs says that North Korea has been at the top of their list as the most dangerous place in the world for Christians to live for 17 straight years. Think about that. And I've asked Rich Lewis if he would come. And Rich is going to lead us in a prayer for the persecuted in North Korea where there are over 300,000 Christians, we believe, and at least 50,000 of them are confined to prisons or labor camps. And as he prays, let this be a, a preparation for you as you come for Holy Communion, as you come and remember the sufferings of Jesus, as you come and remember the persecutions of Jesus and of the apostles and those who believed in their witness in days past. Rich, would you pray for us? Let us pray. Father God, you are an awesome God. You created the most distant galaxies and yet know every hair on our head every thought in our mind, every passion in our heart. You are an awesome God. You love your church, loving in a way that we don't even understand. We can't fathom. And yet your church is also persecuted And in North Korea, especially, where there are more than 50,000 that are in labor camps and prisons that we can't dare imagine how awful they are. Lord, we pray for those who are persecuted so severely in North Korea. And we pray that those believers in North Korea would be bold in their faith they will overcome through the spirit that persecution. And we pray for a nationwide revival of the Christian faith in that country. And that Kim Jong-un would also allow the creation of new churches far beyond the one token church that he touts as being significant. We pray that the requirements of residents to attend indoctrination classes as they age from very young might be lifted. And that the requirement to bow to President Ung as if he is a god be also lifted. We pray that his country 
would allow human rights inspectors to review the conditions that are held in those massive prisons and work camps. And that media embargoes would be lifted such that his country would be allowed to see TV and radio, and especially the internet where Christian groups can access worship materials and study materials and be encouraged by the rest of the world, as well as be an encouragement to the rest of the world. We pray that organizations like Open Doors would be allowed access to provide Christian training and resources to believers, but also to seekers, for we know that is a field that is ripe for harvest. And lastly, we ask that North Korea's economic and social infrastructure would fund and implement major reforms so that preschoolers would no longer be indoctrinated, that children would no longer be forced into labor, that roadsides and countrysides would become safe again, and that adequate nutrition would be provided to the undernourished, and even that a quality education would be available to all to empower the people to freely make life decisions about worship and education and work and family. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayer and for hearing theirs. Lord, we're commanded to join together in fellowship. Help us, Lord, to also join together with our hands and feet, being yours, that we may do more than pray, but also support and encourage with the gifts and resources which you have blessed us with. In your son Jesus' name we pray. And all the congregation said, Amen. Amen.